0: Guest, if this is your first time joining into a Redeeming Grace service, thanks for joining us. And to all my friends in our church, I miss you so much. I'm sorry that I can't see you this morning and look forward to us being able to assemble again soon, we hope. I want to just forecast the next uh, few sermons where we're going after this. We've been in a series in the Ten Commandments, God's blueprint for our lives. And that was interrupted by this pandemic. And we're going to be returning back to the Ten Commandments series next week. So we've got Commandment 9 next week and Commandment 10 the week after that. And then we'll be going into a series from Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. That series is called Standing Fast Until the Lord Returns. But this morning, Easter morning, we get to hear from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter in the Bible. And Kathy Kahn is going to be reading our text for us this morning. It's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 20. But in fact, the first Thank you, Kathy. Let's pray. Oh God. Our Father, this Easter morning, we remember that the word of the cross, the word of the resurrection, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This word has been going forth for 2,000 years and reaching and transforming life after life. And we pray now for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that through the proclaiming of Jesus raised from the dead, you would give new life and strengthen the lives of every believer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thinking about uh, this Sunday, I was just reflecting, I've been a pastor for over 30 years and I've certainly never been a part of an Easter service like this. And I'm sure you haven't either. Here we are gathering online. It seems so strange to not be able to see you and um, we do so look forward to being able to get together church is literally an assembly and uh, we look forward to that time to be able to reassemble and it's a strange and difficult and, and, and different time isn't it i have um my tickets uh, right here to the nats game uh, less than i have tickets to last monday's nationals game which, of course, wasn't played. And so much has changed. So much has been interrupted. Um, There have been changes for people, not just here in our city, but in our country and around the world. There's been a tremendous, not only change, but tremendous loss. Loss is far more significant than not being able to go to a baseball game. People are hungry. People are out of work. People are sick. People are dying. It's a very difficult time. In our busy city, It's a strange experience to be out at all. People are slowing down. They're taking time to think about what's important. In our powerful and prosperous city, people are seeing their need and vulnerability in new ways. Google searches for the word prayer skyrocketed in the month of March. Bible sales are up. One lady wrote this week that in a crisis like this, Even atheists like her need what religion provides. People are looking around. People are asking questions. And, you know, we want our church to be a place where people with doubts, people with questions, always feel welcome. And I want to personally welcome this morning anyone who's never been to church before, anyone with questions who's just looking around wondering what is life all about. Our question this morning is this. What makes life worth living? Now, before I offer some thoughts from scripture to us, I want to just ask you, how would you answer that question? What makes your life worth living? What are you living for? A lot of op- options, aren't there? Some people would say, well, nothing. It's really nothing worth living for. Others would say, well, religion is helpful or I need a sense of purpose, something bigger than myself. Some people would, would think about love and, and relationships or success and, and accomplishments. Whatever it is that you're living for, If a tiny virus has the power to destroy what you're living for, to destroy what you hope in, if a tiny virus can do that, then this is a good time to rethink where your hope is, what your life is built on, what it's aimed at. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a message of hope, a hope so stable that it can't be destroyed by a virus or even by death. Now, how does Jesus' resurrection help us in times like this? Well, it answers our question. Our question is, what makes life worth living? And, and the answer from this passage is, Jesus' death and resurrection make life worth living. His death and resurrection for our sins makes life worth living. So I want to unpack that this morning. Because the, the claim here is that through Jesus, we can be restored to God We can be gathered into a new community that God is building of his people. And after we die, we can rise to be like Jesus and be with Jesus. As we sing sometimes, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And all that hope rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you remove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you destroy Christianity. It's that central. So this morning I want to pose two questions that come out of this passage. First is this. If you erase Jesus' resurrection from Christianity, what do you lose? And second, if Christ has in fact been risen from the dead, raised from the dead, what hope does that offer? So let's, let's ask this question. If you erase Jesus' resurrection from Christianity, what exactly do you lose? Now, I want, to, I want to paint the picture here from this passage for us because it really connects with where we are today. The situation is people are living in a city in Greece. The city's called Corinth. And they've heard this good news about Jesus, and they've come to believe in him. But they were brand new at this. There had never been any Christians there before. They had lots of questions, lots of ideas and, and practices and ways of living that needed to be still shaped by the kingdom of God. And it seems that some of them were saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. So that's why he begins with this this statement. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? We don't know why exactly they were saying this, but it's likely that somebody or maybe some people in their church had died. And you know, when people die, it makes you stop and think about important things, doesn't it? Many people in their day believed in some kind of a life after death, but not in a physical resurrection. And maybe you're in a place right now where you're wondering about life after death. You're wondering about the most important things. I want you to see and be encouraged by what happens here when the writer, Paul the Apostle, understands that they have this question. He doesn't just say, banish those doubts. Away with those questions. That's a bad way to think. Stop it. No, he engages them right where they are. And he plays sort of a what-if game. The The operative word in this passage is the word if that appears over and over. And he says, okay, if you think there's no resurrection from the dead, let's play that out. Let's take ideas that have consequences. Let's take that idea and let's, let's tease it out and see where it actually takes us. And he rolls through seven consequences that set up sort of like I have some dominoes here I'm going to use to illustrate this point. And and the idea is, if if you say there's no resurrection from the dead, it sets up seven dominoes that ultimately destroy Christianity. And the first domino, and the most important one, is this. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then that means Christ has not been raised. That's the first thing he says. Verse 13, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Raised. That is the most important domino. It's the first one that would set up all the others falling down and would destroy Christianity. And what are the others? What are the implications? If, if there's no resurrection from the dead and if Christ hasn't been raised, we well, look at verse 14. We get two right off the bat. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. There's the first one. And your faith is in vain. Okay, so domino number two is this. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is in vain. Why is that? Well, because we preach Christ raised from the dead. The very first sermon that's given by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, the first sermon that's, that's preached by one of Jesus' followers after he ascends to heaven Here's what Peter says. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So he's saying, listen, if Christ is dead, our preaching is in vain because we're preaching a risen Christ. The next domino that falls is this. Not only is our preaching vain, your faith is vain. There's domino number three. The word vain here is literally the word empty, kenos. There's nothing in it. It's like the cereal box when your brother gets to breakfast before you do, right? Empty, nothing left for you. He's saying, listen, our faith, we don't just have faith in faith. We're not just people of faith. We have faith in a person. Our faith has an object. And that person repeatedly said that he would not only die but rise again. Hear the words of Jesus in Luke 9:22: The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, hear this now, and on the third day be raised. Jesus predicted that he would die and be raised if he didn't rise he's a fraud there's no reason to listen to Jesus there's no reason to follow Jesus and we've been fools for believing what he says your faith is in vain fourth the next domino is this we are misrepresenting God that's down here in um let's see where is that Verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified that he raised Christ from the dead. Peter's sermon, he says God raised him up. So the idea here is that when we preach the gospel, we're saying that God raised Christ from the dead. Actually, one of the Ten Commandments is you shall not bear false witness. That's the Ninth Commandment that we'll be looking at next week. And, and and the idea here is if we're proclaiming that Christ is raised from the dead by God and he's actually in the grave somewhere, well, then we're making lies about God. We're giving false testimony about God. The next domino is in verse 17. The next consequence is this. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. This hits hard. If Christ is in the grave, you are in your sins. Christianity is all about having your sins forgiven, right? If Jesus died on the cross, isn't that enough? I would have thought if he just died on the cross, our sins would be forgiven. But he says, listen, if he's not raised, you're still in your sins. Why? Well, well, here's why. For us to be forgiven for our sins, two things have to happen. First, Christ has to die on that cross. If Christ had listened to Satan who was tempting him, if Christ had, had given in to the, the difficulties in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, I'm not going to do this, if Christ hadn't died on the cross, Christianity collapses and there's no forgiveness for sins. That's, that's true. But if Jesus died on the cross and stayed dead, Christianity collapses and there's still no forgiveness for sins. Why? Because the enemy of death is still ruling. Death is still in power. Sin is the road that leads to the destination of death. You've got to defeat both sin and death. It's like in the Lord of the Rings. It's not enough to just defeat the armies of Mordor and have Sauron still in power. You've got to destroy both of them victory to come. And so the idea is that we're still in our sins if Christ is still in the grave. Next, not only that, but those Christians who have died, they've perished. What happens when you die? The great abyss? Reincarnation? A vague hope of something better? The Christian message is this. When you die, your body goes in the ground. But one day, you will rise with Christ. If you're His follower, you will rise again. Made like Him. Like Him we rise. But if there's no resurrection of Jesus, if He's still in the grave, then the grave is a place of hopeless destruction for all His people and everyone. And finally this, verse 19, is sort of the summary. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Jesus offers a a life of joy and hope and suffering. That's the here and now. We live as He did, trusting God, but experiencing the difficulties and sufferings of this life. And yet when we die and rise again, the suffering is gone forever and the joy continues. But look, if the dead don't rise, why put up with the suffering? Live it up if this is all. You get. Live for today. Put all your hope in this life. Carpe diem, go and get the best you can out of life today if that's all there is. Have as much fun, much pleasure as you want. And maybe this is a good moment to just pause and ask what are you living for? What are you learning during this time about what's really important? Sports, movies, careers travel You know, so much has been put on hold, hasn't it? Are you just hanging on, waiting for it to be over so you can get back to normal? What if normal never comes again? Or more importantly, what if God is right here in the midst of this saying, there's a new normal for you that's completely different than anything you've known before? What makes life worth living? Is it all tied up? in being accepted in how many followers you have in how many likes you get in being the one that everybody listens to being the one that influences being the one that everybody looks to does that really deliver a meaningful life? is what you're living for really coming through for you? do the things that you're living for cause you to be excited about getting up in the morning? Do they thrill you and give you hope and joy throughout the day? Maybe God is using this time to get you to think about what's really important. And the most important thing is to come into a life-giving relationship with Him through Christ. That's real hope. Listen, Christianity stands or falls on this claim that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. If you want to destroy Christianity find a way to destroy or disprove Jesus' resurrection. And if you can do that, you can knock over the whole thing. It's empty. Show us his bones and we'll all go home. Because there is no salvation without a living Jesus. Those are the what-ifs if there's no resurrection. We need a hope that's... Certain. We need a hope that's secure. We need a hope not only for the here and now, but we need a hope for the there and then. And that hope is what comes into view in verse 20. Hear it once more. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so, Christ has, in fact, been raised from the dead. How do we know this? Well, last Easter. Service. We look at the first part of this chapter where Paul goes through the list of eyewitnesses who saw Jesus after he rose again. All the disciples saw him. Jesus appeared to 500 people at the same time. And then Jesus appeared, the risen Christ appeared to the writer of this letter in person. Paul was an eyewitness. And he says, look, he's only only writing 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead. He's saying, of those 500 people, many of them are still alive. Go ask them. There's no concern about there not being enough eyewitnesses to verify the resurrection. And there's no body to disprove it because he's alive. But that's an illustration we'll remember, won't we? Right there. All right. This letter is being written to people by a man who saw the risen Christ. And he says Jesus is the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. What does this mean, first fruits? ever seen a apple tree fruit tree maybe you have one in your yard or some other kind of fruit tree and you watch the flowers and then the little fruit and then eventually maybe you get a nice red apple and you go and you pick it and that's the first one but it's not the only one there's a lot more after that jesus rose from the dead in a glorified deathless body and the whole world changed why why Because sin has been atoned for, death has been defeated, and the new creation has begun. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, paradise was lost when Adam and Eve sinned, and paradise is being regained by Jesus, the second Adam. One day, Jesus will return to recreate the heavens and the earth in perfection. All God's enemies will be condemned and cast into a lake of fire. But the dead in Christ will rise to be like him in new, eternally healthy bodies. No fear of viruses, no fear of cancer, no fear of death, nothing broken in creation anymore. All suffering, pain, tears gone. And then we will know God by sight and not by faith. We'll get to live in these deathless bodies, not only for worship, but for work and play and loving relationships. Think about what that might be like. I love woodworking. Erica, thanks for making that wonderful cross, that beautiful red oak. I just think, what kind of wood will be available in the new creation to build things out of? Maybe you like to travel. Think of the sights you'll be able to see and the time you'll have to see them. Maybe you like to cook. Think of the ingredients. Maybe you love to create computer programs. What programs will you be able to create in a perfect world? What an incredible opportunity this is going to be for us. Not just to be with God and not just to be in worship, but to be in a new creation, to be everything we were supposed to be in a world that's a perfected world, a paradise. When you come to follow Jesus, You become a new creation, washed on the inside, given the spirit of Christ. And that new creation life takes root inside of you. It's the beginning of that new life and that new age has come. The gospel message is one of hope for this life and hope beyond this life. And that's what makes life worth living. What comes naturally to all of us is to live life on our own terms when I first heard this gospel message, this message about Jesus, it made no sense to me. I, I knew how to live. I had ideas, plans, dreams. I, I knew what I wanted and I was, doing, I was doing my best to go get what I wanted out of life. And this message began to turn my whole world upside down. Things happen in our lives and we realize we're not actually the captain of our fate. Maybe it's a virus. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's unemployment. Maybe it's something else. And we begin to realize we're not as in control of the situation as we thought. We begin to realize we need something greater than ourselves. We begin to realize we're made to be in a life-giving relationship with our Creator. See, real life comes not from following your heart, but from following Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us that before you can gain everything, you have to lose everything and give it all up for Him. And then He comes to be with us now and He promises that the best is yet to come. Do You know, in Christ, cemeteries, they're waiting rooms. Jesus' people need not fear death. And in the last two plus years in our church we've lost four precious saints to cancer Don, and Sydney, Bruce and Sylvia their bodies are in the ground but it's just a waiting room one day Christ will return he's the first fruits and the dead in Christ will rise to be with him how do we think about life During a global pandemic, how do we think about life when so much is changing? I want to just read a short excerpt from an article that I came across earlier this week. I appreciate this lady. Her name is Kate Cohn. I appreciate her transparency. Let me just share a few of her thoughts with you. Maybe you can connect with this. She says, every day my calendar app notifies me that I have no events. Or I have an event, but it turns out it's a woodwind rehearsal. I forgot to toss in my calendar's virtual trash bin. I sigh and click to delete. The app dutifully double-checks. Do you really want to cancel this and all future events? I mean no, but yes. And time stretches out, unmarked, unshaped, and therefore incomprehensible. Dates that never changed have changed. Events that always happen won't. The NBA playoffs, the Eurovision Song Contest, college graduations. Wimbledon has been canceled for the first time since World War II. Don't worry, the 2020 Summer Olympics will happen in 2021. If the only certainties in life are death and taxes and tax day has been moved, what does that leave us with? Don't answer that, she says. I appreciate her humor, but she's in the right, she's going in the right direction. If the only certainties in life are death and taxes, is there anything greater? Is there anything actually more certain than that? Yes, there is. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Since Christ has been raised, our preaching is life-giving. Since Christ has been raised, our faith is on solid ground. Since Christ has been raised, we are telling the truth about God and what he's done. Since Christ has been raised, we have been set free from our sins and given new life in Christ. Since Christ has been raised, we are of all people most blessed in this life and in the life to come. And with that good news, let's return with one more song to our living Savior.